Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right. All right, everybody. Settle down. Settle down. Uh -huh. Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder, where usually I am joined by my co-host, Megan. If you are on YouTube, you will see it is just my lovely self on the screen. And if you are checking us out via podcast, you will just hear my lovely Lovely voice here for the start and end of the episode. So, to make a long story short, uh, Megan and I have tried very hard to make this virtual thing work this uh, for this episode, and we just we couldn't make it work with with the technology and the capabilities we have. So, unfortunately, we had to. Megan's having to sit this one out. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about why um, once I get into the open segment and a little bit about what's going on this week. But first, uh, like I mentioned, this is Whiskey and Wonder. You can uh, check us out on YouTube. Like I said, you'll see my lovely face. I've got my DSLR camera running the show now for me, um, which is really nice. We're Whiskey and Wonder where we drink whiskey, and we wonder, teach each other about uh, different things that we've learned about and wondered about that we've always kind of wanted to know. And, you know, we just learn stuff. <laughs> it's a good time. Um, so a couple of quick announcements. The Infinity Bottle. Let's start with that. Here it is. Well, at least one of them. Um, we've we've kind of We've talked about this and we've we've laid out the ideas and I think we've kind of decided to do three, possibly four infinity bottles. Now, you might be asking, what is an infinity bottle? I've heard it a couple different ways. Some people uh, take, you know, when you get down to the last little bit of whiskey in here and it's not enough for a full glass. You know, some people mix those all in their own bottle and come up with their own quote-unquote blend. Um, other people put what they really like in there and make their own blend. And so what Megan and I have decided to do is to let the listeners vote on what goes in, the, uh, what goes in our infinity bottles. And we're going to do one for bourbon, which is what this guy is. You can see with our... Nice whiskey and wonder sticker there. This was our last one, so it went to a great use. We're ordering some more and should have those in soon. Um, and yes, there is stuff in here if you're listening and not on YouTube, but I highly suggest everybody go check out YouTube. This has got a beautiful color to it. So already. Um, so we're going to do a bourbon, which is what that one is. We're going to do a rye, and we're going to do at least one scotch. Um, we're currently back and forth on the idea of doing a two scotches, one for peated scotches and one for, um, non-peated scotches, the peat flavor. We, you know, it's probably going to take over. So we're, we're kind of debating that back and forth, but so as far as the bourbon one goes, this is the only one that we've mainly taken votes for so far. 
And what I mean by that is votes from you, our listeners. Like I said, it does have whiskey inside of it. And these have all come from our patrons over at Patreon. There are everybody that's a Patreon, uh, a supporter at Patreon gets to vote whether you're the $2, $5, or $10 tier. Um, if you're the $2 tier, that's pretty much what it gets you. It gets you the right to vote, uh, and it's 2 bucks a month. So we'd appreciate everybody going over there. If you have any interest in voting on whether or not these whiskeys go in these Infinity bottles, and then we'll probably bust them out at various points throughout the uh, throughout the year. I think... I think I put five in, um, and I'm debating on whether or not we should write up what goes in there and put it on the website or not. Um, maybe we'll just keep that for our Patreons. I don't know. We'll see. But as you can tell, it's already almost half full, and that's just with five. I put two ounces. Um, I measured out an ounce on a, on a shot glass and drew a line on it with a Sharpie. I weighed it with a kitchen scale. And I poured two shots, two one-ounce shots in there of each each bourbon that's been selected um, with the exception of one of them that, frankly, just there wasn't enough left in the bottle. So, um, But it got about a shot and a half. So it, it got pretty close. Um, other announcements. Uh, we still have the 5,000 listen celebration to do. If you're not familiar with that, that's where Megan, uh, Megan has to dress up in a hot pink dress and shoes and whatnot, a complete outfit, possibly a tiara, depending on how evil I'm feeling. Um, and we all go out to dinner, me, her, Shelby and Houston, um, who are, our better halves. um, the last announcement we really have is um, this episode. This is going to be our interview with Robert Kerbeck, who was a, an, uh, a spy for, for the corporate world. He was, you know, he started out as an actor and ended up bumping some elbows with some pretty well-known names and ended up somehow a corporate spy. So... Uh, his book, Ruse, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to New York. Uh, you can find that anywhere uh, Robert mentions. Uh, you can find that anywhere books are sold uh, or robertkerbeck.com. Uh, Robert talks a little bit about that in our interview, and that will come instead of a wonder segment today, that will be the wonder segment. So if you have any interest at all in learning a, a little bit about the uh, life of a corporate spy and just a little bit about that world. You know, I highly suggest you go check out this book. It was a, it was a great read. Um, Megan and I, Megan and I both read it and, and honestly just couldn't put it down. So we're excited to have Robert on, on this episode. Uh, lastly, it's all the social media stuff. You guys know it. Whiskeyandwonder.com youtube.com just search whiskey and wonder subscribe if you do uh if you like what we're doing once we hit a certain threshold of subscribers we can get a nice url that'll be like youtube.com slash whiskey and wonder but until then just search us subscribe uh like us watch us it all helps um same goes with your podcast feeds 
if you you know rate us review us listen tell your friends it all helps it goes a million it, it helps a, a a bunch there's a million ways you can help even if you don't want to subscribe to the patreon or donate through paypal or anything like that just listening and and telling your friends helps us if you know somebody that likes history and likes learning or if you know somebody that likes whiskey hey i know this cool podcast these people that are all right put it on <laughs> um with that i just want to say uh oh i do want to say one more thing uh y'all please reach out contact at whiskeyandwonder.com we have this awesome awesome mailbag mail time drop uh that we don't get to use nearly as much as we'd like to um so people used to write us even if it was just the same people over and over we we miss that so y'all write us we miss y'all we miss hearing from y'all uh and if you're new write and tell us how you found us how you you know if you think we're doing a good job or not um other than that, I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody that does support the show. Like I said, whether it's listening, rating, reviewing, donating, telling your friends, whatever you do, it all helps. It 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 really helps. And you know, whiskey's not cheap or free necessarily. So, and as well as you know, hosting a website and getting all the equipment and everything. So it just it goes a long way. We appreciate it more than we can, more than we can, uh, put into words. And, and I'm speaking for Megan there as well. And speaking of speaking for Megan, I have some things she asked me to say. So here we go. The open segment. So, Megan and I are not together, obviously. Um, to make a long story short, Shelby went uh, out to see her family. I guess I'm, I might not should be saying all this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think she'll care. Shelby went out to see her family in uh, California for some family stuff. And while she was out there, she said, you know, my... My throat's hurting and I've developed a cough and all this other stuff and ended up, lo and behold, um, tested positive for COVID. Um, and, and you know, it's just been, fortunately, she's, it, it, it's been kind of, I don't want to say rough on her, but it's definitely, she's feeling it and I think she's through the worst of it now. Um, I do want to say it was, it was an unfortunate situation uh, but we didn't find out she was positive until she had already come back here which brings me to why Megan and I are not together because I am a close contact and so today is my fifth day of quarantine I have been stuck in my house and it's been uh good and bad so I've enjoyed the nice calm relaxing alone time especially being an introvert but at the same time like i'm i'm ready to get out of my freaking house um and megan and her family have a newborn in their house uh congratulations to you all on your your new family member um and she didn't want to risk 
and I don't blame her. So that's why we are not together. She says that um, she hopes everybody is having a lovely week, a safe week. Uh, she wanted to extend her thanks to Robert and uh, for doing this interview, and she wants to say that she hopes everybody will go out and, uh, you know, support Robert, check out his book, give it a good read because it's, it's definitely a page-turner. Um, other than that, things have been pretty status quo around here. Uh, like I said, <laughs> nothing, nothing has really happened with me. Um, I've been in my house for five days. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to get out of my house. I'm not as excited to go to work tomorrow as, as you would think. But, um, lastly, I guess for the open segment, I want to touch on uh, what my Braves are doing. They've won 11 in a row. I was supposed to go. Uh, well, Shelby and I were supposed to go with some friends down to the Braves game uh, yesterday. And obviously that didn't happen. But I got to watch them, and I got to watch uh, watch them win their 10th in a row, and then they turned around and lucked up and won an 11th in a row today. So good job, boys. Um, I also watched... The Infineon NASCAR race for all my NASCAR fans listening. So uh, Papa Bill and John, Johnny Five and uh, Brandy. I don't know if you listen, but y'all are the only confirmed NASCAR fans I know we've got on here. Anyway, that was a piss poor race today. It was very boring. They raced at uh, Sonoma Speedway, which is a road course that was uh, nobody passed. And that was pretty much it. They ran around in a circle. Uh, you know, all those people always say NASCAR is just a bunch of cars turning left in a big circle. Well, today they ran in a circle and turned right and left. And it was more boring than when they turn in a circle and just go left. And that's all I got to say about that. Um, I'm caught up on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I'm, I'm sure you guys are thrilled to hear me and Megan ramble on about this, but since Megan's not here, you get to hear me ramble and I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, I really don't know how I feel about it. Uh, as of now, we're four episodes in and I think it's only six or eight long and it just doesn't feel right. It feels very unnatural. It feels forced. Um, I feel like they've taken some things um, they wanted to make this happen so bad that they've written some plot things that have caused, uh, some of the original movies, some of the lines and some of the plot, not necessarily plot points, but just some of the small details in those movies to lose luster. Um, so I'm sure Megan will have a bone to pick with that, but I'm interested to hear what she has to say on it. Anyway, um, we don't have a new whiskey today. I am drinking, and I am drinking when we did the interview with Robert. I Tonight, I am drinking the Old Forester, 1910. I busted into some, some, of, my, some of my favorites this week while I've been quarantined. Um, Lord knows I have a lot to choose from in there. And in the interview with Robert, I was actually drinking... Um, the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked, which was our 
whiskey of the year for 2021. And I actually still have the, it's in our whiskey and wonder. If I can get that in the light, our whiskey and wonder etched uh, decanter that Shelby got us. So if you do question what I was drinking during that interview, that's what it was. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get this interview started and we'll see you on the other side. It's time for the wonder segment. All right, everybody. Welcome to this uh, special, special episode of Whiskey and Wonder, where we are happy to have a guest to interview today. Um, Our guest is here talking about his new book, Ruse, Lying the American Dream, From Hollywood to Wall Street. His story is an incredible one, and we're really excited to welcome award-winning author Robert Kerbeck with us today. How are you doing this morning, Robert? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on here with us. So we just talked about a little bit about your book, Ruse, uh, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. Thank you so much for sending us one and letting us read a copy of that. It was wonderful. Well, thank you. It's a crazy story, right? Uh, You know, who knew? Corporate spying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Insane. Um, And you're a fantastic writer. It was so entertaining reading everything. So. Very good job. Awesome book. Well, thank you. You know, coming out of COVID, I really wanted to write something that was fun to read. Um, And so even though the story is all true, uh, I wanted it to read like a spy novel so that you were just like, what's going to happen next? And, and, and you were just really, you just really wanted to turn the page. So that, that, that was important to me. That you were very successful. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. I got in this and I couldn't put it down. Yeah. (laughs) Same. Um, so why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about, uh, Ruse and about your background so we can set, you know, establish who you are for the listeners. Yeah. So, you know, Ruse is, uh, the story. Um, it's a true story. It's my story. Um, the book is a memoir and it's about how I, uh, was in college and got involved with acting. Um, uh, my family's from Philadelphia my great grandfather sold horse carriages before uh, cars were invented. And then he switched over and had one of the first automobile dealerships in Philadelphia. My grandfather took over that business. My father took over that business and I was supposed to take over that business. And when I graduated college, I went to work there briefly, but I just didn't feel it was right for me. You know, car sales, there's a little bit of trickery and dishonesty with that. And um, so I moved to New York to try to be an actor. And of course, actors need survival jobs. And who stumbles into a job as a corporate spy? Uh, But that's what happened to me. And of course, the uh, lying and deception in corporate spying uh, ended up being far worse than car sales. (laughs) So a little bit ironic. Um, So that is actually something that that I noticed. And I have a couple of questions on. Uh, specifically, like, I want to start at the very beginning because you mentioned your dad and you mentioned, um, you know, somewhat of the, the morality of, of being the corporate spy. And so I noticed on the very first page, the dedication page, it says mm-hmm. dedicated to my mom who told me to always tell the truth. 
And I noticed in here, you talk a lot about your dad's, what he thought and what you wanted him to think of what you did, but I don't remember you mentioning your mom. So I'm curious, what did she think of, of what you did? Ah, that's a great question. Um, you know, my mom didn't know, uh, she didn't know exactly what I did. Um, and, um, when, when of course the book came out, she had a sense um, because I didn't talk to her about it, um, that it wasn't, you know, um, you know, on the up and up. It wasn't, um, you know, certainly it wasn't ethical. Um, you know, the question of whether it's legal, it's certainly in the very, uh, you know, the dark gray area of legality. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, and my mom is just, she's a really honest person and a very, uh, you know, uh, straightforward person. Um so, you know, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't too pleased about it, but I, I think like a lot of people, the way they get around it and the way they, 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 I hope like me and like my character in the book is that the rusing that I'm doing, um, the manipulation I'm doing is directed at major corporations, you know? Um, so it's like, okay, well, you know, boo hoo for Goldman Sachs. Are we really going to feel too bad for Goldman Sachs? when we know some of the shenanigans they've done that have made them billions of dollars, right? So if, if Goldman Sachs gets hoodwinked, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it, you know, and again, that's part of the thing in Ruse is that, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, manipulating old ladies and getting their credit card numbers. I'm basically going into the largest corporations in the world and getting people inside those corporations to tell me secret corporate information that they definitely should not tell me. And then that information is sold to their competitors. So I'm, I'm actually really glad you said that little old lady comment, because I had a mm. question on that. Um, obviously some of the situations that were presented to you in your life were very kind of, you had to make a moral decision on. Um, and you talk about a lot of those in the book here, but obviously rusing was kind of one of those, like you said, dark gray areas so I wanted to get what your opinion was on the people that are preying on little old ladies over the phone. And, you know, just I, it's different, but it it's the same medium in a way. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the line that I always had uh, that I never crossed uh, in the rusing job and also in life was to, you know, uh, take advantage of the less fortunate, uh, take advantage of you know, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I, again, this is a rationalization. And in the book, I um, reckon uh, with the moral issues throughout the book, I do not recommend my job to anyone, uh, though I'm here to tell you that corporate spying is alive and well. And if any of your listeners want to pivot to a new career, corporate spying is quite lucrative and they're always looking for good spies. Trust me on that. Um but um, it's not something that I'm proud of. And, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book. And it's one of the reasons now I do a lot of um, cybercrime podcasts. And, um, and indeed, I'm working with a couple of cybercrime organizations to now help people so they, that they don't fall victim to that kind of phishing, you know, so that, you know, um, older people um, um, are not falling victims to the phishing, which is getting more and more sophisticated, right? Whereas now they're using a combination of phone calls, texts, and emails, um, and using those in a way that it really seems legitimate. Um, and, you know, to get information to your bank accounts and, you know, whatnot. And so I do a lot of work now. I'm starting to do a lot of work to try to help prevent that. Oh, well, that so, sounds like you're really trying to give back. So 
yeah kudos to you yeah for yeah, sure finally right <laughs> better late than never <laughs> hey i always took it as you were kind of sticking it to the man because a lot of these corporations did some really shady stuff and yeah you know made life harder on the the everyday american in a way so yeah well you know in in the book you know i talk about the 2008 crash right which was so devastating for so many people and so many people lost their homes and you know the 2008 crash was the result of a giant ruse which was largely uh, perpetrated on the forget about the american consumer the global consumer um by wall street banks and finance companies um and again so you know part of the rationalization that i had uh you know as i was doing this job was well you know what um somebody wrote a review of ruse and they said shank the man and rake in the bucks um and i thought that was a really good description of what we did yeah i would yeah, agree pretty accurate um, so that kind of helps me with one of my questions I wanted to ask you, Robert, with um, how do you feel like bruising is going to evolve with the times? Do you think it's something that will eventually die out or do you think it's going to continue forever? Uh, that's a fantastic question. And I'm going up to a uh, cybersecurity conference in San Francisco next week, and they're actually having me speak about uh, ransomware. Right. Uh, and as your listeners probably know, ransomware is basically hackers um, hack into a corporation. They um, obtain sensitive information that they can utilize to wreak havoc on that company, um, prevent them from, uh, you know, shut their systems down, prevent their email system from working, whatever it is that is going to cost that company. Forget about millions of dollars hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And then they say, hey, here's the good news. You write us a check for 250,000, 2 million, 5 million, whatever the amount of money they ask for, and we won't do anything and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm going to go and speak uh, at this conference on ransomware because the number one way, you know, corporations spend so much money protecting their systems and their servers, millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars on the computer system, the firewall, the encryption. And the weakest link in the chain is always still the human being. Right. And so if I can call a human being and I ask my teenager about my technical skills, you know, mediocre at best. OK, but if I can call an employee and I can get them to tell me their credentials, their personal passwords, which by posing as an executive in some sort of emergency critical situation, I am almost always able to do. Now I have, I don't even have to hack into your system because I have the ability to access it myself. And I think that's the big thing is that social near, social engineering is alive and well, and, and in a weird sort of way, even more critical today because the stakes are even higher. So it's funny that you mentioned that, um, you know, how uh, people hack into corporations and do that because my corporation that, that I work for actually experienced that a year before I started working there. And so mm. it's very, there's so much training we have to go through and, and very secure, you know, it, everything's constantly updated. So I, I understand I've, I haven't seen it firsthand, but I've seen the ramifications of it. Right. And, and, you know, the training is very important, but equally important uh, training and education is testing. Right. And so one of the things now that some firms have been reaching out to me is, hey, Robert, 
will you test our system? Will you try to infiltrate our firm? Will you try to get information about our corporation and then show us what you got and tell us how you got it? Um, because they need to be able to plug those holes. Um, and, you know, I'm here to tell you when I did my rusing um, and I was tasked with finding out whatever I was tasked with finding out, um, I got the information not 90% of the time, not 95% of the time, not 99% of the time, 99.9998% of the time, I got the information that my clients asked for. Wow, that's impressive. It is. Yeah. Do you think you were that successful just because of how good you are at rusing? Or is it pretty common for most people who ruse to get that information? Uh, I mean, look, um, you know, you know, what is the expression? If you don't toot your own horn, there'll be no music. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have to say that uh, my clients would say that I was the number one corporate spy in the world. Um, and indeed, um, my clients, uh, you know, if I was too busy on an assignment, which, you know, was often the case, um, you know, they would, you know, and I talk about that in the book, people would offer me double my rate, triple my rate, because they had to have, they only wanted me because they knew I was the only one that was going to get this information. And what happens a lot of times, if someone is trying to get information and maybe they're not as good, um, and they, they kind of mess it up. Uh, the firm gets wind of it, um, and all of a sudden, emails are sent out. There's a corporate, uh, you know, a giant corporate meeting where they're saying, "Look, uh, hackers are trying to penetrate our systems. Uh, nobody can tell anybody anything, you know, blah, you know." And so, basically, you know, everything goes on lockdown mode. Um, and then it's then I, sometimes I'd have clients calling me and go, "Look, we we tried somebody else, and they they really messed this up. Can you go in now and try to save the day?" And those situations were, you know, obviously incredibly difficult, um, but I still was able to pull it off. But it took a lot more time and effort um, because now everybody's guard was up. And what I try to do or what, you know, because obviously my spying is in the rear view now, I wouldn't be able to write a book um, about spying. I had to wait for the statute of limitations to run out. Um, and I wouldn't be a good, a very good spy if I outed myself as a spy and then I kept spying. Um <laughs> But I'm here to tell you that when I was doing that, um, you know, I was able to, you know, get information in the most difficult of situations and at the uh, the hardest firms to extract information from. Cool. Did you know when you were rusing, you were eventually going to, like, come clean to the public uh, and write a tell all memoir? Or is it something you decided recently or how did this yeah, book come about? I had no idea, you know, back in the day uh, that I would ever, you know, I mean, I didn't, I, this was not something that I was telling people about for obvious reasons. Um, you know, when people would ask what I did, I would say I was a um, executive recruiter. Um, every once in a while, I would say I did research. And once in a blue moon, I would say I did corporate intelligence. And if someone would say corporate intelligence, well, what is that? And I'd say, well, if I tell you, I'd have to take you out back and shoot you. Um, and that would be it. That would be all. It would be just a joke, I'd say. And then that would be the end of the conversation. I would never go any further than that. Um, and then what happened was, um, and I talk about all this in the book, that at a certain point, you know, here I am doing all of this rusing and deception. And the crash of 2008 comes. And suddenly there is no more rusing because the economy, you know, was stopped on a dime. There was no work. Everybody was losing their jobs. And so I had to take a job in corporate America, my first job in corporate America. 
And what I found was that the lying and deception and manipulation um, done face to face in corporate America was far worse than the rusing that I was doing over the phone, um, which I was uh, shocked by. And um, so if if people pick up ruse and they're reading ruse and they're and they're like, man, you know, this guy's lying to people. Boy, I hope I hope the tables get turned on him. Keep reading because the tables definitely get turned on me. And then I'm the one that's being rused, um, I think, which which a lot of people, I think, like in the book. They're like, oh, so this guy, you know, he he gets his comeuppance in the end. Um, and when that whole uh, corporate world experience um, fell apart, um, all of a sudden, you know, one day I, I, I was so sad and depressed. I had opened this office at tremendous expense. And um, now the office was, you know, I was going to go under and, and lose everything. And uh, one day I wrote a suicide note. And it really wasn't me writing a suicide note. I was not contemplating suicide, but I was so sad that I got in the head of this character that had been bouncing around in my brain. And I wrote this note and um, I showed it to an actor friend. And uh, he said, that's pretty good. Uh, and, and, uh, and even though the writing was very rough and, and, but there was something about it that was true, right? Even though it was fiction, it was really true because I was writing what I was going through. And that inspired me to start writing. I had been an English major in college before I started acting. And, um, that really motivated me to write. Um, and all of a sudden I circled back to the, to the, to my very first career. You know, I've had all these careers, you know, I was a car salesman. I was an actor. I was an executive recruiter. I'm a corporate spy. And I circled back to where I began, which was writing. And then as I started writing and, and started getting some short stories published and some essays published, you know, uh, all of a sudden, you know, now that I wasn't doing the spying, the idea started to percolate. I went to a writer's conference and I read an, a very early excerpt from the book and people were blown away. Uh, and not so much blown away that the book was amazing or brilliant, but just about the world of corporate spying because people don't know it exists and they don't know how cutthroat it is and they don't know that billions of dollars are at stake and they were just fascinated and they said you've got to write a book about that and and that's what motivated me to write the book it's it's interesting that you say that because that was something i was i wanted to make a point of is i had no idea mm. it, it's one of those things like when when we got the book and you reached out and it was like of course there are corporate spies out there. I just never would have thought about it. Yeah. And I actually yeah, right. have another question based off of that uh, moment you were, you were talking about uh, where you were very low and, and very sad um, in the book. You're you, you made a phone call to your buddy who helped originally get you started, get you the, your first rusing gig. And you described yourselves, you, you, you described how he could just, tell over the phone through your voice that, that you were really upset. And it honestly, it gave me goosebumps. It's giving me goosebumps now, mm. but it, you described your, both of you as professional phone listeners. And it, it, it didn't click until I read that just how intimate uh, a phone conversation can be. And, you know, just based off your experiences, you, I mean, you even start in, in the book with very intimate, phone conversations. Um, so if from your perspective, you know, can you talk about that dynamic of, of being on the phone? It's something that I think a lot of people take for granted that I certainly took for granted. Yeah. So, you know, um, going back to the, the spying, uh, being, a, a, an unknown world, you know, we all know the Russians spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us, but most people had no idea that this type of spying goes on. 
um, and that uh, major American corporations, you know, we, you see these CEOs on CNBC and they're talking about corporate ethics and integrity and all of them are hiring, hiring spies. They're all hiring spies. Now, they're never going to admit it. They usually have, you know, they hire me through someone else so that they have a little, um, you know, plausible deniability so they can say, wow, we had no idea. Um, but in terms of your question, the, you know, you definitely have to have a gift of gab to do any sort of sales job. And certainly um, there is a sales element to convincing people that you are someone that you're not, that you're an executive, um, you know, working in the compliance department or you're an executive working in the audit department and you're off site meeting with the regulators and there's this emergency and you need this and this is why you need it, you know, to convince people of that. But I think there are a lot of people that have that skill. Or, I mean, not a lot of people, but there are some people that have that skill. But the ability to hear in someone's voice when they pick up the phone, whether or not they're going to be friendly, whether or not they're going to be a potential source, I could hear just how someone said hello, whether it was going to be possible. And when I would hear someone's voice that I could say, this is a no-go, I would almost always get out of that call. Oh, sorry, wrong number. Oh, my my bad. Because I wouldn't want to burn that phone call because that person, because I could tell they were going to be suspicious, um, that person could inform a whole, you know, the whole firm, right? And now, like I said, the walls come up, right? You know, what a lot of times I would do is I would sneak in, I would get the information and get out, and no one at the firm would know. Not even the person that I ruse. They they would just think it was just a normal call and a normal workday, and that was my goal. You know, is because a lot of times you're going back into these firms time after time after time, and so you want it to be, you want it to be chill. You want no, you know, you don't want to raise any suspicions or alarms. Um, and so the listening is really critical. I I always say I can hear in the silence on the line what you're thinking. That's incredible. That is that is so incredible to me. It is. That's an amazing talent for sure. Are you worried about any um, backlash from the companies that you worked for or that you bruised um, now that you have this book out? Did you take any like precautions before publishing to make sure you were safe, basically? Yeah. So what I do in the book, you know, so the book goes back and forth between, you know, the corporate espionage spying world and my acting world, because, you know, I was a professional actor. I was working with, you know, Paul Newman, George Clooney, Kevin Spacey, Al Pacino, O.J. Simpson, Yoko Ono. They're all of these interactions in the book. So that kind of the chat, the, the book goes back and forth between those two worlds. Um, and in the book, I use all of the real names of the celebrities because they're celebrities, but I change the names of the corporations um, for obvious reasons, because while everything in the book is true and really happened, um, you know, these corporations have armies of attorneys on staff and they could make my life miserable, uh, even though I, they did hire me, even though they do hire spies, even though they did hire this spy. Um, you know, they could just make life really, really difficult and expensive for me. So I changed all the names of the corporations. Um, so you mentioned Kevin Spacey, and I actually have a pretty personal question. Don't feel like you have to answer it or anything. Um, but you said that early on in your career, Kevin Spacey approached you um, mm. to get his agent's number to you. Um, and 
how common was it in Hollywood that there was sleeping your way to the top or were you propositioned multiple times by other actors um, that would you know, boost your career if you did something for them? Yeah, look, I think um, for women, it was much more common. Um, you know, my actress friends would tell me stories. Um, I think for men, it was less common. Um, and part of that was because, um, you know, being gay, uh, being out and being gay was was still very problematic, you know, because, you know, we're talking, you know, early 90s, mid 90s, late 90s. Um, so I think, you know, even Kevin Spacey, when he, um, you know, tried to ruse me and get me to come up to his apartment because he was going to help my career, um, Kevin was not out. You know, Kevin was not out. Indeed, I mean, he went on 60 Minutes. Uh, with his girlfriend and talked about, you know, being straight and, you know, all of this stuff when, of course, he was not straight and he was lying. Um, and I understand why, you know, he was trying to protect his career and his ability to play leading men roles, uh, straight leading men roles. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I think that um, it was much more it was much more common for women than for men. Um, Very cool. Thank you for answering. Yes, thank you very much for answering. Um, I have a question because you touched on earlier how you were now working with like cybersecurity firms and you're you're trying to I don't want to say you've turned state witness, but you know, something similar to that. So that when we first uh got in contact with each other, you mentioned that Frank Abagnale and he's on his quote is on the title or the first page of ruse here at the top mm. um you mentioned that he's a big proponent of your work and that's kind of something frank did as he started working with the fbi mm. so i was just curious how did that relationship form between you guys and i hope there was some rusing done like you had to ruse his secretary <laughs> to get his phone number ah uh, that's funny uh a little bit a little bit you know when you you write a book um you 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 know you and your publisher and your publicist start um Going okay, well, who are we going to get blurbs from? You know, who are who are we going to ask to to give us a, a quote that you know we might put on the cover or the inside flap? And I said right away that my number one choice was Frank Abagnale um, uh, because our books have a lot of similarities, and I also liked how he, you know, the scamming that he did as as a young guy. You know, then he went and worked for the FBI and has done all of this great stuff in preventing the very same scams that he once uh, perpetrated, right? And so I really admired that. And um, yeah, so I basically, you know, reached out. Um, and at one point I got his assistant on the phone and um, and she was very nice. She was very nice. And and I I was very nice. And she was kind of, you know, you know, uh, not brushing me off, but she was just kind of saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I was just very positive and very nice and used all of my social engineering skills while not lying but just charm and kindness and you know and basically i won her over and it turned out that here i thought it was frank's assistant it was frank's wife who also serves as his assistant and because she had kind of said no but i stayed i didn't let it you know get me bummed out and i said oh well i understand you know he's very busy but boy i you know I, you know i and I, and you know I, I i thank frank in the book even before he had given me a blurb, I, I, I have a quote from Frank in, in, the, in the book. And uh, I told her that. And then she went, 
really? You, you quote Frank in the book? And I said, yeah. And she's like, well, you know what? Send us a copy. And, um, and then I was kind of like, send us. And all of a sudden I've started to go, wait a second there, you know, and, and then I began to realize it was his, um, you've got a cute little one in the, in the back corner there. I just saw your, your son there. I was really adorable. He's in his, <laughs> he's in his jammies. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, so Frank read the book and he, uh, he flipped over the book and he wrote this lovely blurb. He's recommended me to speaking organizations, which is crazy. I mean, he's he's been a huge proponent. And because of his recommendation, you know, obviously Catch Me If You Can was a massive movie, right? Steven Spielberg directed it, Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio. And then, of course, as soon as Frank, you know, you know, gives you the, the stamp of approval, now Hollywood basically, you know, they got wind of that. And they're like, well, boy, if this guy Frank is saying, this book is the next catch me if you can, we, we better, we better get, we better look into that. Um, so he's really done so much for me. I'm so grateful. Oh, well, that's, that's lovely awesome. to hear. Is Thank there you. a potentially a ruse movie or television show making its way? Yeah. So, you know, we're in, in development for a TV series, which is really, really cool. And, um, I've been very involved with it. You know, a lot of times, you know, they, um, you know, they take the writer's book and they push the writer out the door. Uh, and you're lucky if they don't trip you as they're pushing you. Um, but they, the, the, the people that I'm involved with, it's a really a major production company. And um, they really want me involved because they know, you know, obviously in a, you know, 275 page book, you, you can only have so many of the ruse stories and the scams. And there are many, many more that aren't in the book. And you know, when I started mentioning, well, and, uh, and they were like, wow, that's great. Is that, you know, why isn't that in the book? Well, you know, you, I couldn't write a 500 page book. I wanted to write a page turner. Right. And um, so they said, so they know that these stories are going to come in handy down the road of a TV series, because if you write a TV series and you're lucky enough to have it go for, you know, three, four, five, six, whatever seasons, uh, you're going to need more stories. You're going to need more content. And so they really want me to be involved. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And, um, um, you know, fingers crossed you, you guys will see it on the screen in a, you know, year, year and a half. So uh, I have a follow-up question on that. Uh, I, do you have any plans to act or at least make a cameo appearance? <laughs> well, uh, you know, obviously I'm too old to play myself. Right. Uh, but, uh, the showrunner, who's a really cool guy said, uh, what about you playing your father in the piece? And that was really, uh, that really resonated with me. Um, the idea of, of, you know, because my dad's a big part of the story and the idea of me bringing my dad back to life because my dad passed away. Um, that's pretty cool. I don't know that I'm going to do it because, um, you know, you know, one of the things about the TV world and the film world is, you know, they need to hire actors that make people want to come and watch the show. And, you know, um, you know, so if they can hire Leonardo DiCaprio to play my father, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm sorry, Leo, I, I got to take this part. Right. It's just not going to happen. So sure. I think, it, you know, if they're getting really well-known actors that are that end up being interested in playing that part, um, they're going to play that part. If somehow all of a sudden they're just finding out that the the star of the show is is the character based on me and that's a well-known young actor and they're not going to hire a super famous actor to play my father 
then maybe I might say, okay, well, if, you know, the actors that you're considering are not really very well known. Then let then I will, let's talk about me doing it. Well, I I've got my fingers crossed. I would love to see it in on a TV show because I love watching TV. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and there have been a lot of, you know, there are a lot of true crime shows uh, right now, which have been huge, right? Um, Inventing Anna um, and the creators of Inventing Anna, uh, a company called Shondaland run by Shonda Rhimes, who's this amazing producer, produced Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and all of these great shows. Shondaland uh, did a review of Ruse uh, and they loved it. Um, and so, you know, those kind of things, Frank Abagnale, Shondaland, um, all of a sudden, and, and then all these other successful true crime shows, Inventing Anna, um, um, The Dropout um, about um, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, um, Super Pumped about Uber, that show all of these kind of corporate shenanigans and corporate malfeasance. Um, I think the one thing that's different from Ruse is that those shows, you're not really pulling for the main character. You're, you're watching the main character, but you're not really you know, pulling for them. And what I hope with Ruse is you're going to be pulling for my character because it's a little bit of like David versus Goliath. So that, you know, while I am rusing and doing these kind of deceptive things, again, it's in the context of you're deceiving these corporations. Like, you know, again, I use Goldman Sachs um, as an example um, because, you know, they had, they've done so many shenanigans, especially related to the 2008 crash for which they paid uh, you know, minimal penalties. Um, and um, so I think the idea of of the little guy rusing the big guys that have done all of these huge ruses on, on you know, on little people, you know, there's a little bit of a like root for the little guys to, to ruse that I think is different from those other true crime shows. So I'm going to take, I'm going to pivot away and we're going to jump way back to the early days of the ruse here. And First, uh, I want to know, are you still in contact with anybody from that first uh, group of rusers? Yes, I am. I'm in contact with uh, the guy uh, in the book. He's Pax. He's the guy that got me the job rusing. Um, and he and I have been friends ever since, uh, you know, I, we were friends from we were friends before that. That's why I heard about this crazy job, because, um, you know, there's no job postings for corporate spies. Right. Um yeah, so I'm in touch with him, and and indeed, I think I'm in touch with most of the people. Um, now, of course, none of these these people are spying anymore, um, fortunately. And 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 Pax, the, the guy that played Pax, was nervous about me writing the book because he was nervous about theoretically the authorities coming knocking on his door. But again, he and I have both not been doing this long enough that you know, and the statute of limitations has expired. So. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm in touch with, uh, you know, and, and I've sent them, you know, copies of the book and they have the book. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of cool to I think they've enjoyed seeing, uh, you know, it's also hard. It's always hard to see you know, you know, when I write somebody else, you know, in my story, I think it's hard for people to read and see them in your story because, you know, they might not like one or two things about it. You know, in the, in the book, Pax and I are, are, we're like brothers. So we're, we're fighting, we're butting heads, you know, we're very competitive about our ploys, you know? And so I'm sure there were a couple of things about that, that maybe he didn't like, but at the end of the day, he knows it's true. 
And, you know, it's it's just my take on it. If he wrote a book, his take would be would be slightly different. Right. Um, sure. You know, in, in, you know, in, in his take, he would be the one coming up with the better ploys. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next question uh, around that time is if you could go back and you can give yourself two pieces of advice, one you can tell yourself in regards to acting and one you can tell yourself in regards to rusing. What two pieces of advice do you give yourself? Man, uh, you know, I think with acting, uh, you know, maybe um, I, it's a weird thing to say, but maybe not to try so hard. Um, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, what is the expression, you know, trying to put the the square peg in the round hole. Um, and so, you know, sometimes when you want something, when you want to succeed in something, you know, you're trying, you're trying a little too hard. And, and, and that I think sometimes, I mean, look, to be successful in difficult fields uh, requires, you know, kind of a singular uh, focus uh, and discipline um, to, to, to get there, to make it, you know, but, but there's also, you know, a point where we see this sometimes in sports, you know, I'm a big tennis fan and they talk about, you know, a tension in the body, you know, and certain times, certain big points at a tennis match, you'll see somebody who's hitting all these amazing shots. You'll see them tense up and then they'll hit this terrible shot and you can literally see they got tense. Right. And so I think that would be the thing that I would tell uh, any young person um, is to, you know, when you're pursuing your dreams, you know, try to do it in a way that is enjoyable and, and is, and is a little bit more relaxed. Okay. And what would you tell yourself as far as rusing goes? Man, that's a tough one. You know, whether whether I would tell myself don't do it. I mean, look, I think you have to go on the journey that you want to go on, right? And um, and I think for young people, for young listeners, I, I you know, go on the journey you want to go on. Don't go on the journey you don't want to go on. Go on the journey you want to go on. You know, so I wanted to be an actor. I needed a survival job. I stumbled into this job, which was part-time with flexible hours that I could do for home from home. Right. And now we live in this era of COVID where everybody works from home, but you know, before COVID, you know, getting a job that you could do from home, you could set your own hours. Um, and that's important for actors to be able to go to an audition. You know, I could ruse for two hours, go to an audition, come back, ruse for three hours, go to another audition, you know, and that was a, a you know, like every day. And so I was able to work, support myself. And of course, eventually rusing became quite lucrative. Um, and so, um, you know, I kind of needed that job. So I don't think I'd go back and say, don't do it. You know, indeed, what I'd say is go on the journey you want to go on and enjoy the ride. Um, because you only get to live once as we've seen with COVID, you know, I had friends die from COVID, um, and, um, no day is guaranteed. So do what you want to do and have fun doing it. I think I think that's great brilliant. advice. Brilliant for sure. Um so kind of on that same train of thought, um you supported yourself through college. Uh you basically lived hand to mouth. I think I saw one interview where you gave where you said you only ate like Kraft mac and cheese or you lived off just ramen and cheap stuff. Yeah. Um and you Three didn't... for no Three for 99 cents. Three boxes yeah. for 99 cents. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and they were like two meals each. So, you know, that was dinner for basically a week, 99 cents. Yeah. Um, oh, those days gone. 
and you are just now using your English degree, so um, I'm assuming you didn't really use it for acting or anything. Would you go back and still go to college when you did? Well, you know, when I went to college, so I went to the University of Pennsylvania, which is a very uh, well-known school and a very expensive school. Um, when I went there, you could actually pay your way through the school uh, by working hard. Now, you know, I had to do other things too. You know, I, I, I got some loans, um, but I didn't get, um, you know, um, I didn't get buried in student loan debt because again, college back then wasn't so expensive. Nowadays, it's really prohibit prohibitively expensive. Um, and that's a really great question because I think if you're going to go to school and you're going to study something that in a field that's maybe not necessarily lucrative, right, or might not be lucrative, let's let's just talk, say, acting, right? Um, you know, the question is, do you have to go to college to be an actor? And I think the answer is no, right? I think the answer is no. And when I went to college, um, I had a group of, uh, let's say, ten uh, theater friends, and when we graduated, we all continued in the theater, whether it was acting, directing. And I'm here to tell you of the 10 of us, only <coughs> two are still doing it. Only two. And nine of the 10 went on to graduate school. I did not go to graduate school. They went on to graduate school. So now they got an additional degree that they paid additional money for that for sure never paid off. You know, they never got that money back. So, you know, and I'm not saying this that you know, there aren't great MFA programs in acting and great MFA programs in writing. But I think the idea of doing that um, is really dangerous because, you know, if you don't have the means, um, how are you paying those loans off? Right. How are you paying that debt? Um, and, you know, what I did, you know, when I circled back to writing is I went to some writers conferences, um, which are, you know, obviously a lot less expensive. Um, and they're usually one week conferences. And I learned a ton from those conferences. I started a writer's group and I got other like minded writers together. And of course, that's free. So <clears throat> I think. Um, when you talk about pursuing art, um, I think be very careful about committing a lot of uh, debt, uh, you know, committing yourself to debt. I think that that's that's dangerous. Now, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, if you graduate you know, Yale School of Drama or NYU School of Drama, that that might not be quite helpful for you. It might be, but I know quite a few people that graduated from those schools and never really worked and never really made any money, you know, and, you know, we'd have to ask them if they would, if they would do things differently. But I just, I just feel bad for young people that graduate school with a mountain of student loan debt. I can certainly understand that. I yeah. think, I think I got a lot of friends that could as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Megan, did you have any more questions? Um, I think I've gotten through all of my questions okay. pertaining to rusing and everything. Um, well, you so, guys are the best. You know, um, you know, if people are interested in learning more about me, um, the book, uh, other books I've written, um, uh, you know, you know, there's a couple of cool videos on my website. You know, uh, www.robertkerbeck.com. Um, you can find me on social media. I love to hear from people that read the book. Um, that's kind of my favorite thing is hearing what people thought. Um, you know, you guys had some questions that no one's asked before. Uh, no one asked me about Kevin Spacey. So that's a first, <laughs> which I'm <laughs> kind of surprised by because it was a pretty intense thing 
that the experience I had was exactly like the experiences that now he's in big trouble for. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I do have one last question, Robert. Obviously, uh, it's in the name. We are Whiskey and Wonder. So mm-hmm. we we talk a lot about whiskey and we drink whiskey here. So in the book, you mention uh, enjoying red wine. Mm-hmm. So do you drink whiskey? And if so, do you have a favorite? You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've written a book uh, and I tell the truth in the book. So I would not be, it wouldn't be cool if I didn't tell the truth now. So the truth is I am a huge tequila and mezcal guy. Okay. And I drink a lot of um, really dark uh, tequilas. Um, so um, extra and añejos. Um, and a lot of people compare those to whiskeys. Um, so that's that's kind of my go to, uh, um, you know, liquor is is um, extra and yeho tequila. OK. All right. Yeah. So I'm, cool. I'm, bring, I'm bringing some Cali to the house. There we go. All right. Nice. My my girlfriend Shelby will appreciate that. She's from, <laughs> yeah, she's from yeah. California. Cool. So um, where can our listeners find a copy of Ruse? Is it is it out in stores yet or when? Yeah, it's out in stores. Uh, you know, you can buy it wherever you like to buy books from, you know, obviously Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, I always encourage people to buy from your local bookstore because if we don't support local bookstores, they're not going to be around for very long. Um, and local bookstores, you know, it's, it's just a great sense of community in a local bookstore. And also, if you ask somebody that works there about what the cool, the latest cool science fiction book or the latest cool spy book, they always have great recommendations. And so, so, you know, that's what I encourage people to do. Um, if you go to my website again, you know, robertkerbeck.com, um, it'll take, you know, you can buy the book there from wherever you like to buy books from. All right. Well, Robert, I, we just want to thank you for your time this morning. I know you are out on the West coast, so you're, it is still fairly early in the morning for you. So thank you for working with our schedule and, um, Thanks for being on here and, and interviewing and sending us a copy of this wonderful book, everybody. It is Ruse, uh, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street. And you can find out more information, as Robert said, at robertkerbeck.com. Well, thank you both. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much you, for Robert. coming on here. That was amazing. All right. We just want to shout out Robert again. Uh, thank you so much for coming on here and letting us interview you. That was such a cool experience. Uh, we learned so much about him, and, and he was such a cool guy. Um, with that, let's go ahead and jump into a trivia with Tyler. Trivia with Tyler. It would have helped if I had this pulled up, if I knew what I was doing after, you know, 80 episodes. Um, But I do remember reading this one earlier in the week, and it is a good one. So, I really wish Megan were here for this. The first Paddington Bear toy was actually designed by Shirley and Eddie Clarkson in 1972 and was given to their son, Jeremy. If the name Jeremy Clarkson sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the same Jeremy Clarkson that's a presenter of Top Gear and the Grand Tour. So, yes, his parents invented Paddington Bear, which, if I'm not mistaken, has a child's movie now. So, go figure. 
Some people are just destined to be rich and famous, I guess. Um, on that note, guys, we're going to go ahead and move it on. Uh, I guess we'll do final thoughts, even though there's no whiskey. Final thoughts. <laughs> that threw me for a loop. I, I looked at my buttons to press for the next segment. And I, <laughs> it was final thoughts. I said, oh, well, we'll skip that. And then it was cheers. And I said, oh, shit, we can't go that far. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that I can be pretty candid with this. Um, so yeah, we'll give final thoughts on Robert and the interview. Um, I really enjoyed reading his book. I, again, highly recommend everybody go get a copy of Ruse. Uh, you can get it wherever, you know, as he said in the interview, you can go to robertkerbeck.com or you can get it Barnes and Noble books a million, wherever books are sold. Um, but definitely if you want to and, and like this sort of thing, support your local bookstore, help them out. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think I mentioned it in the interview. Um, but the, uh, world of corporate spying is one of those things for me where I was completely oblivious to its existence. And then once it's brought up, it's like, you know, you smack yourself on the forehead and you're like, duh, of course, corporations spy on one another. So, um, you know, it just, it was such a unique experience, uh, especially interviewing somebody of that caliber. Um, I hope, I hope Megan and I did, did a good enough job for everybody. Um, I'm pretty, pretty happy with the way it turned out. Um, yeah, I guess really you guys have listened to me drone on enough. I don't have too much to say. Um, if you want to vote on what goes in the infinity bottles, check out patreon.com. Um, slash whiskey and wonder that's in the show notes. Any, any level will get you that permission. If you do the $5 level, it will get you the ability. You'll get the episodes early. Uh, we're thinking about adding, uh, some, some more features to that. We've talked about a whiskey Wednesday. Maybe we'll turn that into like a small extra podcast. Um, that, you know, well, I don't know. We're, 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 uh, what is the phrase? What is the phrase people say? We're workshopping it. Yeah, that's it. We're workshopping it. Anyway, guys, uh, this is going to be a short, sweet episode. I want to give another shout out to Robert. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And everybody else, stay safe. Avoid the Rona. Ukraine, keep giving them hell. I haven't heard much about that in the news, so I hope they're still giving them hell. Um, funny how that shit dies off. After a couple months, the new wears off and the news doesn't want it. So anyway, y'all, I'm getting out of here. I got to edit all this stuff together. It's late. So I will catch y'all later. As Megan always says, don't drink and drive. Cheers. <laughs>